Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Power Vibe podcast. This is episode number 11. My name is David Hall. I'm back here as always. So thank you to you for being here, putting up with me for 11 episodes so far. I'm the only person who's been here every single time. I don't know why they let me do this, but here we are. Thank you so much for being here. If you've made it through all these episodes so far, thank you again for that. We really, really appreciate your time. If you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel, please do that. Like us, leave reviews, whatever you need to do on your free feeds. We are basically everywhere you get your podcasts. If we're not, let us know. We'll make sure we're there. But all of that being said, today I am joined by our second guest on the Power Vibe podcast. Last week, we had our first guest, Theo from Mingledorf's, shared a lot about supply houses. But today, I'm joined by the... You're looking great today, by the way, Justin. I'll say that much. Justin Pitcock from Goodwin Investment. What was the, what was the little... Goodwin the Investment Advisory. Goodwin Investment Advisory. Now, Justin, how are you doing, man? You doing good? Doing better than I deserve. Hey, I like that. A little bit of a, who says that? Is it Dave Ramsey who says that? I'm not sure. <laughs> I love that though. I love that. I love that. That's a very, I, I only hear people from the South say that, but I like it. It's a nice little little thing, you know? No one in England says that, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Doing all right. How's the weather over with you, man? Oh, man. Yeah. It's finally uh, turned out sunny over here, man. We've got oh, really? that. Um, yeah. It's been storming, but finally getting a little sunshine. We must be getting the storm that you just had then because it is absolutely chucking it down here right now. Oh, so uh, apologies if you can hear that through the mic, but it'll just add a little ambiance, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but Justin, you, uh, you know, we've been, we've been communicating for a few weeks now. We were going to try and do this a few weeks back, but um, situations kind of came up, which means we had to push it back to today. We're at the very beginning of June. Well, I say we're at the beginning of June. What's the date today? Yeah. The 9th or something? June 9th. Yeah, so I guess it's still the beginning. Um, but you've recently just moved offices, right? Just moved to a brand new office. Um, uh, quadrupled our space. Our team was growing. And uh, wow. so we, yeah, we had to get to a new space where everybody had their own office or at least a place that could be an office. Uh, a lot of our employees uh, work from home at least part of the time. So I really, anyways, we, we got a new space that's, um, yeah, hopefully it'll accommodate some growth. Yeah, I'll bet. I mean, how's it feel? Can you like spin around and, you know, knock, oh. knock into things anymore? <laughs> yeah, my office is completely bare, but um, got to get that decorated. Um, but yeah, we've got, uh, yeah, we've got a great uh, open workspace as well where the team can collaborate. Big uh, team conference room. We've got an outdoor space. Um, nice. This, this new office is great. Just in time for the summer. Hey. Oh, yeah. And we're part of the HOA. We got a pool up here. <laughs> what? No way. So, I mean, you know, it's, so it's a business park that we've moved into and um, there's a uh, residential um, community that adjoins to ours and we we're part of that HOA. So we get access to the pool and tennis courts, man. <laughs> Dang. So you guys can just do business in the pool, right? I mean, we're wondering if our Wi-Fi signals, you know, close <laughs> enough to the pool. We're going to start well, working up there. <laughs> well, look, man, you could just do it the old fashioned way. Just a bit of pen and paper. You know, you don't need signal up there. Uh, well, you know, we can start a heart, uh, hot spot as well, you know, if we need to. That's true. You could do that. There are many workarounds. Any excuse oh, yeah. to go do work from the poolside, man. I'd so, find it. Yeah. Four, four o'clock once the market closes. Yeah. Find, find me up at the pool. <laughs> all right. Hey, so speaking of the market, speaking of money, all that kind of stuff, I want to preface this by saying I personally, me, David, absolute financial noob. No kind of like I, my wife and I, we did Financial Peace University uh, two years ago, we've, we've only been married for about two and a half years. Um, she has an, uh, an egregious amount of student loan debt. Um, I won't tell you how much it is cause you probably have a heart attack. Um, but, uh, so Justin, you're in the financial world. Why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are, bit of a bit of your background, where you come from and then how you've managed to get into this industry. All right. So, um, so I'm, I'm a certified financial planner. Um, what that means is that, uh, Got a, a little knowledge on insurance, estate planning, taxes, investments, and retirement planning. So um, I primarily work with individuals, um, and a lot of those are business owners. So um, can help them navigate things like what type of insurance they should have, um, how to have a good tax strategy, how to mitigate taxes over their lifetime. Uh, we talk about their estate plan and then handle their investments. So. Um, we are a fee-only investment shop, which means we don't sell anything for a commission. We don't sell insurance, but I can talk to you about it. So we can be that unbiased third party that, um, you know, we can go through, okay, what do you have? Um, what do you need? Do we need to supplement that? Can we cut something that you already have? And just talk about the pros and cons of all that. 
Um, so <clears throat> I've been doing that for four years. Um, prior to to that, I worked for the Georgia Secretary of State. And hey. um, yeah, Work man, the government. <laughs> was, yeah, the government guy. I was an auditor uh, for the state. Oh man. no. <laughs> Nobody oh, likes auditors. I was going to uh, say, you, everybody's worst enemy. Yeah. Yep. So <laughs> um, I used to audit financial advisors prior to becoming one. And, and um, Oh, so you were auditing the people who, who do other people's finances. That's that's right, man. man and, they must so, have hated you. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And so, you know, you, you send somebody a, a letter in the mail, basically, when you're working for the state and you say, you know, it's this official letter. Hey, you're going to be, you know, under this exam, um, we're going to be there in two weeks, but to prep for that, we need you to send us all this information. Mm-hmm. And I and mean, they're just panicking. like, Oh yeah. They, yeah. The panic sets in. Um, so did that. I mean, it's an awesome experience. I got a uh, view, um, uh, kind of the internal workings of over like 60 advisor shops across, across Georgia over wow. the course of a couple of years. And I actually audited good one investment advisory. And, um, and so, which is who um, you work for now, that's who I work for now. So, um, you know, when, as you were, when you're an auditor, nobody likes you. It, I mean, it kind of, it's not a very fulfilling job because Mm -hmm. I I Mm -hmm. think most people probably would feel the same way you want to be liked. And, uh, so, you know, began, uh, studying and, and, uh, eventually took the exam that's required to be an investment advisor. Um, and then had that under my belt and started kind of, you know, keeping my eye open and, uh, done this audit on Goodwin Investment Advisory about a year prior, uh, to seeing a, uh, job listing on ZipRecruiter. And I was like, man, I wonder if those guys like me enough to give me an interview. <laughs> hey, he ordered us so well. <laughs> so, um, yeah, man, I called called them up. Um, and, uh, they're like, is this a trick? Are are you like, if we don't give him a job, is he going to like find us or something? <laughs> You're like, no, no, not at all, man. Uh, totally no, not. No, no. Just give me um, the job. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but yeah, man, the rest is history. It all worked out. That's um, awesome. So did, did, did you, um, did you study at college, like with the intention of going into finance and all that kind of stuff, um, like accounting and, and all that sort of fun thing, I, I, or was it something you kind of fell into? It's something I kind of fell into. I've always liked finance and economics. It's been real interesting. Um, kind of captivated, uh, you know, my attention. But I've got an undergraduate degree in, in exercise science, and, and the first part of my career was working in healthcare. Um, and I worked in this uh, hospital. And five years later, I wound up in their business office um, and uh, as a financial counselor. And, and it's Sounds like an interesting title, but it, it was not very rewarding. And that's when I started thinking about, okay, what's this next step? Um, so I, I did my uh, MBA at Berry College. Um, and uh, where's that? Then it's in Rome, Georgia. It's oh, nice. It's the largest campus in the world, probably one of the smallest MBA programs in the world, also. Wow. <laughs> um, or smallest MBA programs. Mm-hmm. But um, <clears throat> so, uh, did the MBA uh, program and uh, got a job in Atlanta working for the Secretary of State, and that's kind of how I uh, landed uh, this position and got got to this point. That's awesome. You'll have to excuse my cat. She's uh, just climbing all over my back. If you're watching this, uh, she likes to do this, but uh, the show must go in? on, you know? Sorry? <laughs> Does she dig her claws in? No, she's, she's just adventurous. You know what? She's going to have to get down. Hang on one second. <laughs> Apologize for this, everybody. Ugh. If you're watching, you could have seen that, but audio listeners probably like, what on earth is going on? But anyway, that's really interesting. I, I always find it fascinating when people kind of get into things that they weren't necessarily studying for and, and how that always ends up. Because, uh, you know, as a, I'm, I'm only 26. I went to college when I was uh, 20, 20 years old, went for acting school. And now, you know, I'm working for a marketing company. So, uh, a lot of times I feel like we always have these intentions of going into something, but then life happens and uh, you take different paths. And, and I always love hearing about that from other people because uh, it's always interesting. And I'll tell you one thing though, money was certainly not something I was ever going to get involved in. Um, 
I've always been, you know, relatively, I guess, frugal, you could say. I've always liked to save money. Um, but like I told you a second ago, since I married my wife, she had a pretty significant uh, student loan debt. So uh, we, uh, we're we living at home with our in-laws right now trying to pay that off. So, Oh, yeah, man. Do what you got to do. That's uh, that's my boss's story, man. He started this business out, um, well, out of his bedroom, basically. Wow. And um, was great at managing money and uh, basically, you know, success brought the ability to take on all this debt. And, um, one day kind of woke up and was like, wow, you know, got all this debt. I'm a financial advisor. Like what's going on here? So his wife and kids, uh, ended up moving out of their home, moving in with, I can't remember his parents or in-laws and rented out their primary residence to work off all this debt. And it took them a couple of years to do it, but that's their, um, story. And I mean, they, they did the extreme, they got debt free, and I mean, now they're, you know, got that freedom. So that's awesome. Well, <clears throat> speaking of financial freedom and all that kind of stuff, Justin, you, you know, you, you're, uh, you, you work pretty closely with businesses, right? In terms of helping them with their finances. Um, one thing I wanted to kind of start off this conversation with was about um, investing for your retirement, both as a of somebody who works at a company, but then um, also as a business owner, because what we want to do is we want to kind of like, because I'm, I'm assuming those are some, somewhat separate. In fact, they may not even they may not even be the case. How um, how important would you say it is for for someone to start investing for retirement? And if they were to start doing that, how do you start? Do you know, do you, do you start through your company? Do you start doing it personally? What's the best route in that respect? So this, I mean, the simplest thing for somebody to do if if their employer offers a 401k, just just start, just enroll in the 401k. And, and a, most businesses offer a match. You should always do whatever it takes to get the match. I know Dave Ramsey, you said you went through uh, Financial Peace University, which is a Dave Ramsey program. Um, D Dave would say, all right, if you're not debt free, let's pay off all that debt and concentrate your effort in one place until you've checked that box. Mm hmm. I agree with you need to concentrate your effort. If you spread yourself thin, you're not going to get anywhere. Mm -hmm. But once, if your employer offers a match, you need to take advantage of that. That's free money. You're doubling whatever you put in. But so I would say if you're not, if you're debt free, you can definitely put in more. Dave Ramsey would say 15%. And that's a great rule of thumb, but it's different for everybody. If you start younger in life, 10% would probably work. If you're in your fifties and you're just getting started, gosh, you're probably going to need to save about 20% of your income. So it, it kind of depends when you start Dave Ramsey kind of is right there in the middle, about 15%. Um, so well, let me ask you this real quick then, Justin, just, um, just in case there's some people out there, I know I'm not even an expert on this 401k. Give me like the, the elevator pitch for exactly what that is. Um, you know, for, for those who may not necessarily know. So it's an investment program that's sponsored by the employer and it comes with certain incentives. Um, so it, it, the basic incentive that is for the employer that's for the employees is that it's a way people can uh, tax efficiently save for retirement and money that you put in there, you, uh, the default would be it's pre-tax. So if you make a hundred thousand a year, you put 10,000 in there, you've just reduced your taxable income by 10 grand. Interesting. So you'll be, you'll be, uh, so it's a way to defer your income over time. When you reach retirement age, which is 59 and a half, you can start taking that money out, but you're going to pay the tax that you would have paid if you had just gone ahead and paid tax on it now. Now, maybe you'll be in a lower tax bracket in the future. Maybe not. And, and so it really depends on the person specifically whether or not they should save in a tax deferred 401k. Um, nowadays, Roth 401ks are really common. Most employers offer both. So you've got a choice. Should I save in the traditional 401k or should I save in the Roth? What is and a Roth 401k? The Roth is a little different. Still this tax advantaged account that's sponsored by your employer. Uh, but the money in that account does not give you a tax deduction for the year that you put it in. If you make a hundred grand and you put 10 grand in, you're still going to be taxed on a hundred grand. Okay. And the benefit though, is that it'll grow tax free. So the interest, the dividends, the capital gains that accrue over time grow tax free. When you reach retirement and you take that money out, you don't owe any tax on it. It's already been paid. 
So you pay and, that tax ahead, tax ahead of time instead of at the end. That's that's right. And so um, our, our government gives us a, a, a few different account types that have really good tax advantages. And that's definitely one of them. Um, so, so is there, is there one that you, um, is it kind of by, by like a case by case basis as to which one you should take advantage of, or is there one that you kind of prefer personally? So I personally prefer Roth and that's our, our default advice is if you're, if you're below the 32% tax bracket, let's save in a Roth. And if, and now if you're taxed at 32% on, on your, uh, mar- your marginal rate or higher, all right, let's do pre-tax. Um, now it can be different if you, if you're a business owner and you have no plans of selling that business and you've built this up to uh, be self-sufficient. you got the right people in there that can run it when you're gone. And you're like, you know, this is part of my retirement plan. Like your income's probably still going to be really high in retirement. So now we have to kind of think through, well, should you, even though you're in a high bracket now, should you still save in the Roth or not? So mm. it's by the case. And I think it's based on what that person's plans are. Um, so, and, and there's other tax mitigation strategies that we can talk through, uh, later on as well. Sure. Absolutely. So, um, you know, one thing that I remember, you know, thinking as, you know, a younger person, not necessarily even starting to consider, um, retirement. And that may be the case for a lot of people, you know, cause some, some people live, um, by a different means than others. They're not necessarily investing in their retirement in a 401k or something like that. You know, a lot of people will just see saving for retirement as setting up a, you know, a savings account in their, in their, in their regular bank of America bank account, or, you know, the, 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 the sort of like the joke is, you know, like putting the money underneath your mattress or something like that. Right. Um, how, how does somebody like really start to efficiently start saving money outside of, um, like, like, is, is the 401k the best place to start for you? Or is there many different things that you can start to do oh, as well? Man, there's so, there's so many different options. So I would, I would say start with the 401k and, and that's, that's somewhere, uh, that's money that's designated for your retirement. It does come, come with strings attached. If you take that money out before 59 and a half, there would be a 10% penalty and it doesn't matter if it was the Roth 401k or the pre-tax, if it was a pre-tax 401k, now you're paying ordinary income tax because you've deferred that. Now you're mm. taking the money out, but you're also paying that 10% penalty. And that um, money it, is like just 10% straight to the government? Straight to the government, man. Boy, I bet they love it when that happens, don't <laughs> no, they? <laughs> probably. <laughs> um, so, but there's so many different types of accounts. Uh, for business owners, there's uh, a cash balance plan. That's that's a, uh, a good type of um, kind of hybrid plan. It's like a... It's like an investment account, but it's also like a pension. So it's got a targeted benefit and it's a good way if the, it's a good account type or a retirement plan for business owners who have a higher income that's much higher than their average other employees income, or the owner is much older than their other employees. And it's a good way that they can defer a lot of income up upwards of like 300,000 a year and kind of create their own pension. And the, the caveat though, I mean, it's, you are still providing a benefit to your employees. So you're, you gotta be okay with, Hey, I'm adding a big expense to the business and you need a, a business that has enough reliable income to fund this pension. But it's another account type that's, that's uh, can be used by business owners. Um, I'd say for the average Joe, if, if your uh, income's less, if you're married and filing jointly and your income's less than about 200,000, you can uh, save in a Roth IRA. So do what you can do to um, maximize uh, your 401k and get the employer match, then open up a Roth IRA somewhere. You can do that at um, any of the uh, discount online uh, brokers like Fidelity or Schwab. Um, and, uh, and and you can create uh, a really simple investment strategy. And I'd say if you're a do-it-yourselfer, um, there's, we, we can get into the details here, but index funds are some of the best uh, investment vehicles for do-it-yourselfers. And I mean, like Vanguard is the probably one of the best known. So what is that? Companies. What's an index fund? An index fund is a passive investment vehicle. It's a, it's a single investment vehicle that holds a whole basket of, of stocks or, or if it was a fixed income uh, index fund, it would hold bonds. Okay. And so it's a way to instantly get diversification by only buying one thing. And probably most people have heard of the Dow or the S&P 500 
Well, mm-hmm. the S&P 500 and the Dow, are, those are indexes. And you can't buy that index directly, but you can buy an index fund that is designed to replicate the return of the index. And it's simply the exact 500 companies that make up the S&P 500. And when those change, that index fund is changing as well, like the components of the fund. So your return is going to mirror exactly whatever the market does. And I would say for the do-it-yourselfer, unless you're very sophisticated, and, and even even the professional folks that try to go out there and beat the S&P 500, good luck. <laughs> the odds are not in your favor. Um, so, you know, I'd say the prudent thing to do, buy like a total market index fund or S&P 500 index fund. It's over the last 90 years has averaged like 10%. So, I mean, that's going to meet basically anybody's goals if you have a good saving strategy. So when and, you say 10%, it's meeting that. Do you mean that like the money you're putting in, you're seeing a 10% return on that every year? It's average that now it's not okay. every, it's not every year. <laughs> and, and so, okay. you know, this, this year is, is a good example. I mean, it's, it's been a tough investing landscape this year at uh, the, at the worst point earlier this year, the S and P 500 was down almost 20%. And so it's, you know, that's high. It's, it's a roller coaster ride. And, and <laughs> I think what, it, what is challenging for folks who, who don't understand the market is that they would be tempted to sell out when something like this happens. And, and you should have the opposite mindset. You know, when, when you're thinking about other things that you would spend money on um, other than stocks, right? You're like, oh yeah, there's this great sale at my favorite store. Let's go buy Let's go take advantage of that sale. Let's buy more. It's the two for one. Um, well, when the stock market's 20% off, nobody, you know, our, at least our clients generally don't have the mindset of let's go buy 20% more. It's on sale. Mm, mm, that's <laughs> interesting. That's, I've never heard that, that way of sort of like analogizing the, the stock market before. That's interesting. It, and like Warren Buffett has said is, is you should look to buy when other people are fearful and, and you should be cautious when everybody else is greedy. Well, how do you, how do you overcome that then? Because obviously, you know, from my perspective, correct me if I'm wrong, but like, there's got to be a reason, right, as to why people aren't buying or people aren't selling at a certain point. So how do you, why do you recommend kind of shifting that perspective of kind of following the crowd, going, you know, where everybody else is going? Because, you know, if everybody around me is saying, don't buy this, and they're the quote unquote experts, why should I then as like, a, as, like as you said, like a regular Joe, why should I flip that on its head and, and actually go and buy that thing? Man, that's a good question. So the market trades um, in the short term based on fear and greed. And, and so pull that down, that's, that's emotion in the short term. Over the long term, it, it, the market grows based on the fundamentals. And so there's a few key drivers to that. It's like population growth, it's productivity. Um, and, and as long as you are in an, in an economy or if you're investing in a global portfolio, if you're investing in places where the population is growing and productivity is increasing, you're going to be okay over the long run. And, and that would be a, a good geographic region to invest in and broadly diversify. And that index fund gives you that broad diversification. Um, so over the long run, it's, it's the market's priced based on the fundamentals. Short term, it's based on emotion. Mm. And you can capitalize on that disconnect from the fundamentals and, and where emotion's at. So, so we, we, we want to basically take advantage of the people who are emotional and kind of going like left, right, up and down all over the, the shop and just kind of whenever they're in that, we don't want this sort of thing. We just kind of capitalize on that. Is that what you're saying? To, to say it plainly, that's exactly right. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, that, that's really interesting, you know, because like for people who like me aren't involved in this on a daily basis, I wouldn't necessarily know that, right? That it's, that it's a, correct me if I'm wrong, a highly emotionally driven industry. It, in the short run, prices are very emotionally driven. There's days, um, actually thinking back to the coronavirus, uh, when it came to America, we had the sell-off in the market. Mm-hmm. There was a day when the market, when the S&P 500 was down like almost 10% one day. Well, Is guess that what? a lot? Oh, that's a lot. That's like, okay, what happened? Did you mean yesterday? Yesterday? It, it was worth 10% more than it is today. Like, right. What, what right. <laughs> like these are still great companies that have all this cash on hand. They've got a great product that's in demand, mm-hmm. People are, you know, buying their service or product, whatever. And then it's like, wait, something 
nothing fundamental actually happened. No, right. it was fear. Fear set in and people mm -hmm. just sold like crazy. Mm -hmm. And and then guess what happened a couple of days later? The market raced up 10% in just a couple of days. So it was like just this big whipsaw. And so I'd say for anybody that's a uh, do-it-yourself investor, which anybody could be, I mean, just buy, buy these index funds and I would say the odds are in your favor. <laughs> so um, that that's that's great advice. I like that a lot. But um, but let me put this to you then. So right now, you know, I'm not again. I'm not a financial expert. So take everything I say with a grain of salt. You're the expert here. Um, you can just correct me if I'm wrong when I say this. Inflation exceedingly high right now. The economy obviously um, slowing, shift, shifting around a lot. Yep. Um, what does somebody who's sitting there as an average person watching the news, watching the cycle, everything's kind of doom and gloom in regards to finances. Do you still encourage those people to invest their money into 401ks, into Roth IRAs, or is, is there a time in which you should start to hold on to your money a bit more? What would you kind of say to those sorts so, of people? I, I would say, first of all, before anybody invests in the market, no matter what the environment is, is, you need to have an emergency fund. You don't want to ever be forced to sell out of your stocks or out of your index funds or, you know, what, whatever your portfolio is made of. So you need, you need this emergency fund. We, we still uh, believe this rule of thumb is three to six months uh, of whatever your expenses are. Mm -hmm. So let's keep that in cash. When the market's, you know, doing something crazy, guess what? I don't, I've got cash. I don't have to worry about selling my stocks at a discount. I want to buy stocks at a discount. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you know, I'd, I'd say have cash on hand, then you're in a position where you don't, you don't have to be as stressed or, or worried when, when the market's like this. And if you do have extra cash, you're in a position to buy. So that makes know, sense. That, that makes that, sense. And then the other thing is, you know, generally if you're debt free, your, your expenses are so much lower. So you're in a, the position to one, be able to buy more when times like this happen. And two, if you did need cash, you wouldn't need as much. Man, I'll get there one day. <laughs> I'll get there one day. I swear. But, um, was rough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So let me tell you, we had to, uh, so the, the, just a real quick background story. So my wife, um, had, you know, like most people, I think had that sort of like that federal loan and then also the non-federal loan. Um, and then when she got out of college, she was like, oh crap, uh, my minimum payment is really high. Cannot afford it interest rates crazy so what she did is she consolidated it all into one loan um that, that had a relative like the smallest minimum payment that she possibly could uh but the interest rate was like five percent um so we did actually refinance that a few years ago but man it's a it's a stressful thing i, mean, I, I tell you we uh we cannot wait to be out of that debt that's for sure it's a case by case scenario i wouldn't by default recommend anybody do that maybe it was a good move but there is there can be an advantage to having multiple oh well, first there can be an advantage to having lots of smaller debts versus mm -hmm. one large debt because right. you can pay off these small ones and totally eliminate a payment snowball that into the next yep and so it, it can uh you can create the scenario where a year down the road now your minimum payment has gone down but if you've consolidated into this one loan your payment's fixed and it's probably not going down and I'll tell wow. you, man, if, if we had been married at the time when we both had, when we had two sets of income coming in, that's exactly what we would have done. We would have attacked one thing at a time, you know, yep. boom, that one's done. Boom, that one's done. Boom, that one's done. Now it's like this one thing <laughs> is coming <laughs> down <laughs> super slowly. We're, yeah. we're, we're being intentional with it, but I digress. This isn't about my finances. <laughs> um, so let's go back just a little bit here to the, uh, to the 401k stuff. Um, because we've kind of discussed uh, the the kind of the side of that from the employee, right? Um, right me, right. every month, part of my paycheck goes into this 401k. It's then matched by my business, however, however much they match up to, right? Right, right. How then, um, sort of, what, how does a 401k work for maybe a business like, should every business offer a four hundred one k match to their employees? Is there a um, an incentive for them to do so? Is there any benefit to not offering that? You know, how does it work from more of the uh, the company perspective? Well, so, I, I say there's a couple of things. One, you know, it is it creates a really good uh, 
accounts that the owners who have the higher income can defer a lot of their income. And so when we work with business owners, they're normally over that 32% tax bracket. And so they're looking to uh, defer as much of it as they can. And so right now, uh, uh, if they do a safe harbor 401k plan, there's a lot, there's a lot of rules around it because the 401k plan has to be designed for the benefit of the employees, but there's a lot of benefits for the owner too. Okay. And as long as it meets those safe harbor requirements, the business owner can maximize their benefit. So, and so that, what are those? So they, the business owner could put in up to uh, $20,500, defer that income. If they're over 50, they get another 6,500. So okay. 27. Um, so they can defer all that income. Now they could offer a profit sharing on it in addition to that. And so the profit sharing plan uh, allows them to uh, now they have to do it kind of pro rata based on salaries and all that, or they could um, use a formula that looks at age and allocate more to the older folks, including themselves, if they're in that group, um, a share of the company's profit. Let's say they've, they've got $100,000 at the end of the year. They're like, wow, okay, you know, I want to reward my team. They've done a great job. I want to defer, defer some of this income. Now, then the business owner's not going to keep all that $100,000. He might be able to structure it where he can keep half of it if he wants to, but it it's uh, a way that that business owner could save up to about 61,000. And so that's a that's pretty, pretty significant, chunk. that's a pretty significant chunk to defer. And, um, now it, you know, it, it is an added cost. And so you want to be able to provide that benefit. You've got to have the heart to provide that benefit to your employees. But right now, uh, if you listen to the news, I mean, the struggle out there is finding and retaining good talent. And not having uh, the, a, a good set of employee benefits is, is really putting your company at a disadvantage. And is that something that even very small businesses should consider? Or is it something that you really only should start to consider once you reach a certain you know, profit level or something? It, so it, it is a profitability thing. Um, and, and 401ks do bring an added cost. And um, you can find... A, a, plan administrator or a record keeper custodian that's that will hold the plan for you. Um, think of the plan, the 401k plan as its own entity. It's actually a trust. It has its own tax ID. And so it's held separately away from the employer. So that, say, you know, down the road, the employer loses prof profitability. It's got to close. Guess what? Well, all the assets in the 401k plan are held separately. Creditors cannot access that money. And <clears throat> so, um, I digress. <laughs> um, so, uh, with, with the, um, 401k, the, so the business owner can max it out to 61. Um, the, their, the cost of it is anywhere from about 4,000 or so to year for a year for a good, uh, administrative record keeper like Vanguard, um, to, you could go at, even like Betterment offers a 401k plan. I think their cost is about $500 a year. Okay. So it, you pay for what you get. Um, so our company, we, we use Vanguard as our record keeper and they house our 401k plan. Um, they've got a great platform, educational uh, material. And that's the one thing that an employer is responsible for. They, they're now a fiduciary to this plan, which means they've got to have their employees best interest. Mm. So, um, and they've got educational requirements that come along with that. So one, they, they can't, um, they have a fiduciary responsibility to make sure that there's suitable investments for their demographics. And that's something that we help uh, companies with is we help them navigate those rules. And we actually, they delegate that uh, investment fiduciary to us. So we'll help them design the 401k plan from uh, which uh, mutual funds or index funds um, should be available to their employees. And <clears throat> Um, so like with a company like Vanguard, uh, you're going to get great support. You'd have like us as the advisor, uh, the investment manager on, on the 401k. If you went to Betterment, it, it's kind of cookie cutter. Like they've got a pre-vetted um, menu of, of options that could be available in that 401k. Uh, if you don't like it, sorry, like that's kind of what's there. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, it's only $500 a year versus 4000 mm -hmm. um, So, you know, there's a difference. But 
Um, so, you know, we, we help um, folks. We talk through these different options because, you know, we don't work for Vanguard. We work for our client. Mm-hmm. They can engage us as, as a consultant or they can engage us as that fiduciary investment manager on the, on the plan. All right. That's really interesting stuff. So, I mean, really, the, the, the main downside to offering a 401k as a company is really just the cost then, right? And, and also that extra, extra, extra work and sort of like, that, it, like you said, the is, responsibility to your employees. Right. There, there is some work because you've got to offer education and, and Vanguard makes that easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they provide all sorts of resources on the website so employees can kind of learn about time value of money. They can learn about the different investment options. They can learn about how much they should be saving for retirement. So they, Vanguard kind of handles that part for us. So. Um, the, the education mm-hmm. aspect, is that something that, that you legally have to provide so that employees know what they're investing in? Right. There, there should be enough education uh, that's provided so that the average, some, average Joe would know, okay, hey, I, based on the information you've provided me, this particular fund should meet my goals. Interesting. So there is that, that minimum requirement there. And, and you have to avoid conflicts of interest. You can't have your buddy over here running your 401k plan. That, and, and so not all 401k plans are done equal. They can be done as a, an advisor-led program, like the, what we would do where there's no commissions or anything, but we do uh, get an advisory fee. Mm-hmm. Um, or it could be done as a brokered plan where every time the paycheck goes into the savings, the broker would get a small commission or a trail fee right. for those investments. Kind of like a broker and, tax. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, <laughs> um, you know, so you couldn't hire your buddy who's a broker to, to do this because you'd be violating your fiduciary duty. You'd be- Because of that um, conflict of interest? That conflict of interest, right. So you've got to avoid avoid conflicts of interest when you're- uh, what, if, uh, what if someone you knew worked for the company that that is working? Is that, does that kind of, is that a little bit of a workaround? I mean, it like- it, you need to be able to show that what what they're doing is in your employee's best interest. Okay. And you, you can't delegate that. Um, so the Department of Labor uh, actually governs 401ks in partnership with the SEC. And the uh, Department of Labor could potentially audit you. Hey, <laughs> and, so and we don't like audits. No, no. You don't, you don't <laughs> want to get audited by the Department of Labor. No, um, that doesn't sound The fun. SEC, but, you know, so, uh, you know, I'd say... At, just know that if you did, um, they would be looking for things like that. And you, you just don't want that. Uh, don't even want to allow that to happen from the beginning. No, that, that makes sense. Well, let me, this is a, uh, uh, again, like I said earlier, I'm, I'm really not a financial guy. I, I'm very, very uneducated when it comes to this stuff. One question I do have is with 401ks, you know, you've talked about investing, you, you, you know, you, you're going to get that, that increase or the money you're putting in, you kind of, if you're like me and you contribute to a 401k, um, my level of naivety is quite high. I'm kind of sending it with the hope that I'm just going to get money in the future, even though I don't even necessarily really know exactly what's go, how it's going to work. Is a 401k a guarantee of increase in money or is it a, a strong recommendation that would most likely lead to more money? There's, there's no guarantees, man. <laughs> okay. How, how does it work then? Is, is, is it really just like you just, you send that money off and then you're just hoping for the best? Um, you know, so I'd say it's, it's a little better than, uh, just hope. Uh, you know, if, if you look at history and, and just know how the market's grown over time, you can invest in a very simple strategy that captures the entire market. And now your, your probability of, of success is, is not a hundred percent, but very close, um, you know, or that you're going to make money anyways. Right. Um, you know, the longer your time horizon, the more likely that you're going to make money as well. Just because of that, that wave of like ups and downs. Right. There there's, um, I know there's the U S stock market has, if you like connect like the, uh, the dots between like a peak and a trough and, and like how long that time period is, you could like cherry pick the worst times to have ever invested in the market. And, and there's actually like a 10 year time period where in 2000, the beginning of 2000, if you had invested money then and sold it at the bottom of the market in 2009, at the end of the year, you know, that's a 10 year time period. You would have lost money if you had invested in the U S stock market. Hmm. So that's, you know, people are like, Oh wow. Like, 
you know, 10 years, that's a long period. Yes, it is. it's a long period of time. But if you are dollar cost averaging, if you're putting money in every paycheck over that time period, you would have been buying in on all these dips. And when the mark, when the market's right. down, your money would have bought more shares. When the market's higher, your money would have bought less shares. So that dollar mm. cost averaging in, you would have actually made about 16% over that same period. If you had evenly bought in the same amount of money over 10 years versus making one contribution at the beginning of that decade. So you look at that. That's why they pay you the big bucks, Justin. It's because you can look at things with a, a more objective and more educated eye than people like us. The, the, key, the key is you can mitigate risk by dollar cost averaging in, and a 401k allows you a simple way to dollar cost average into the market over time. All right. Now, one last thing I did want to ask you about, Justin, was um, we had talked before about sort of things we wanted to cover. One thing you had mentioned you'd like to add into this conversation was about tax strategies for businesses specifically. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's there's all kinds of tax uh, opportunities and credits for for uh, for businesses. Um, so, yeah. You want me to dive in? Yeah, I'll say, well, why don't you kind of give give me the uh, the sort of like if you if you had. 10 minutes with a company and they had no kind of idea what like what their tax strategies were going to be. They're really starting at the base. They're starting at ground zero with their tax strategies. They've hired you to come in and tell them this is what you need to do. How would that look? So, so generally like our conversation, we mostly work with individuals and a lot of those individuals happen to be business owners. So the conversation first starts with, or for, for me generally starts with a business owner mm -hmm. and a lot of what they can do um, through their, well, they can rearrange a lot of their financial affairs so that it goes through their business and creates deductions that they would not otherwise get personally. Okay. And um, so maybe some of the listeners are, are familiar with the SALT cap deduction. That's a state and local tax uh, deduction on your personal tax return. So it, when you're going through your itemizations, when you're preparing your taxes, you can deduct mortgage interest. You can deduct um, student loan interest. Stu student loan interest. <laughs> I know that yep. one. <laughs> yep. You can deduct charitable, and uh, you can deduct these state and local taxes, and that's capped at ten thousand. Mm -hmm. So mortgage interest, charitable, and and the salt state and local tax, mm -hmm. and, and because that's limited to ten thousand, a lot of folks have pay more in state state and local taxes. That's your real estate taxes. That's your state income taxes. They pay way more than 10,000, but they can only deduct 10,000 of it. And so when you add in these other things, they don't have enough itemized deductions to exceed what the standard deduction is because it's either the sum of your itemized deductions or you take the standard to whichever is greater. And right now the standard deduction keeps getting pushed higher, but it's about 26,000. And, um, if you can bring through, you can pull out those state and local taxes and pay those through your pass through entity. So if you're a business owner and have an LLC, you can make an election with the state and your business can start paying your state and local taxes. So now, like if you'd paid them um, on your personal tax return, you would have been limited to 10. Let's say you had 50,000 in state and local taxes. The difference is a forty thousand dollar, yeah. know, difference there. So this this is a new law that passed a, a couple years ago. I would ask you know say talk with your CPA about this. It's called the Salt Cap Workaround. A bunch of other states have passed this legislation as well. Um, but you have to make the election, and your business has to start making the estimated payments for taxes, and not you personally. Hmm. So there, there's the key on that. There's a couple other things that work similarly. Um, let's say you you're, have some sort of service business and um, you, uh, you're, you are trying to grow the goodwill in your community and you, you have the option. Georgia has two different programs that work exactly the same. One's called Georgia Heart. The other is called Georgia Goal. And uh, Georgia Heart's where you redirect, redirect your state uh, tax liability to go to hospitals at with Georgia Heart or using Georgia Goal, you can redirect your state tax liability to go to schools. And nice. So it's yeah, I mean, it's like the state's given us the option. Do we want to pay them or do we want to 
give money to a hospital or give money to a school. Right. I, think, I mean, a lot of people just choose that, hey, I'd rather support this school. And, and if you do that, anybody can do this, but a business can do this and receive an economic benefit. You can do this personally. You're personally not going to get an economic benefit. You just redirect it where your taxes went. And, I did not know you could do that. So it's, yeah, it's a pretty sweet program. Um, but so again, think, you know, if you're a business owner, you could pull out um, or, or any, uh, whatever your state tax liability would be. You don't want to work with your CPA and get an estimate. And then you can make a donation through your business because it's a pass-through business. Even if it files as, as an escort, you can still do it. Um, then the, the business has made that donation. It passes through to your personal return and you've wiped the slate clean as far as what you owe in state taxes, as long as you did the right amount through your business. Now, if you didn't do quite enough, you may still end up with a little bit of state tax liability. Um, and the economic benefit is that if there is a reasonable belief that you have built goodwill in the community by doing that, which the Georgia Heart Program does a great job at helping you advertise this. And this is actually the key. You've got to let your customers know. You've got to let the community know that, hey, I'm supporting this hospital or I'm supporting this school. And the IRS that always says, looks good. Yeah. I mean, the, and the IRS has put, wrote this whole entire paper on this. If you have reasonable belief that you're building goodwill in the community, then you can count that charitable gift as not a charitable gift, but as an advertising expense. And so on your federal return, you've just reduced your taxable income by the amount of that donation. Wow. So that, that, that's a, a great thing. I think all pass through business owners should know about um, it. So you really have three options that mechanically work the same way. The Georgia heart that goes to hospitals, Georgia goal that would go to schools. And then that salt workaround where your personal state and local taxes could get paid through your business. And then it would reduce your federal taxable income by that amount. So Right. I'd say talk to your CPA about those three things. See what makes sense for you. If your CPA feels that based on the structure of your business, that there's not a reasonable belief that you're building goodwill, that you can't advertise that or whatever, just because, I don't know, you're, uh, whatever, however your business is run, um, then, then just do the salt workaround. That's that salt tax uh, workaround. So there, <clears throat> there were a couple other things that uh, businesses can do. Um, there's, um, so <clears throat> there, there's a, uh, Georgia retraining tax credit and something that you've got to apply for. And that retraining credit basically, uh, you know, let's say new technology comes out, or if you're running a heating air business, um, you have a vendor come out, they've got this great new, whatever, you know, cooling system, heating system. They come out, provide education to your team on that and, and your technicians on how to install that. Um, well, that that's that's cost you're paying your employees to be there for their time right for this training and if you keep track of what those costs are you can apply for this retraining tax credit it's got to get pre-approved by the state so there's a really low audit risk by applying i mean by by doing this um the the other thing i wanted to bring up uh was that there's a georgia offers a uh job creation tax credit. And if, if you're a business that's expanding and, and you're hiring employees or maybe building new offices, um, it, it's worth looking to see where these opportunity zones are. The state has this opportunity zone map. There's certain areas that uh, they're trying to build jobs and maybe some of those areas are in your market. Uh, for example, right here, like in, in the Woodstock area, just north of us from Canton to about ball ground, there's an opportunity zone um, along Interstate 575. I mean, if, if you you know knew in advanced, hey, here's an opportunity zone, this can be a really big tax credit. You know, if it's in your market where you're already you know considering an office or a warehouse, whatever, um, maybe you could you know choose a location inside that opportunity zone. And you know, for every job you you have, there's a huge there's a huge write off, and it. it there's, there's some things that you've got to work through and, and apply for on that too. So, Wow. All right. Well, those are, those all sound like excellent suggestions. Like you said, if, if they can work for you, speak to whoever it is that, that financially advises you, because I mean, 
just for me. I don't, I don't own a business or anything, but those sound like great ideas to me. If I'm saving money, that's yeah. good for everybody. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. Well, Justin, one final thing before we go. I want to make sure that whoever's listening to this, if they've heard your great advice and they're like, I need to speak to that guy about my stuff, where can they find you? I'd say the best thing to do is probably check us out on uh, goodwinvestment.com. Um, they could, you know, certainly welcome to email me directly. Uh, my email is jpitcock, that's J-P-I-T-C-O-C-K at goodwininvestment.com. There's no S on there. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, you could welcome to email me, uh, go, go on the website, check us out there. You can read my bio there. You can see the whole team. There's, uh, we've got some great reviews on Google. So read those too. Hey, we um, love some Google reviews. <laughs> and then there's, uh, uh, there's a, a link. If you'd like to, you know, kind of go ahead and start the process, there, there's a get started link and, and you can schedule an intro call with somebody in our, on our team. They just get some really basic information about, about you and, and what, what you're looking for. And they would schedule an appointment with us. So. Perfect. All right. Well, Justin, thank you so much for coming on today. Really, really appreciate having you on here. I know that, I had you talking a lot, but that is mostly because I just have no idea about any of this stuff. So really glad to have you here, man. I'm sure 100% that whoever listens to this, if you've made it this far, thank you. I know for a fact that they have got at least a few things out of this that they probably didn't know before. Or if they did, maybe they just learned a little bit extra about something, you know? That's what we like to do. We like to keep people educated, keep people learning, and you did a fantastic job. So thank you so much for coming on today. Any final thoughts before we go? Um, I think that covers it, man. Thanks for having me on. No, absolutely. Absolutely. You did a fantastic job. So again, if you've made it this far, thank you so much for listening to us. Please don't forget to subscribe to our channel on YouTube. Leave us nice, nice reviews on free feeds like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get those sorts of things. And leave a nice comment for Justin in, in the comments as well, because he did a great job. So give him some love. Thank you again for being here. And we'll see you next time here on the Power by Podcast. Thank you